Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker, live in the bunker. This is pre-recorded a little bit because uh, it's not very often that we get a chance to have somebody in the studio as a guest, but serendipity happened over the weekend, and we actually have somebody that we can talk to here in person. He's a writer, he's a producer, he's an author, and in the last year and a half or so, he's been all over the internet talking about various different things with office politics in Hollywood, particularly with Lucasfilm. Cameron Pasha is here with us today. Good to have you here, sir. Thank you, Jason. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for letting me into your studio. I know we've been on before in the past, but that was between cities. I just happened to be in your city or nearby your city. and. It was really delightful to be able to come in. Now you're here in town for ghost hunting. Uh, ghost I understand. Hunting. What's what's the story there? How how did you get how did you get there for that? Well, I've actually been ghost hunting for probably about 15 years. I even wrote a Huffington Post article, which if you search the Huffington Post in my name, there's an article wrote about my very first ghost hunt with the cast of Ghost Hunters, the original show, uh, you know, with, with Jason and Grant. Uh, I've been to the Stanley Hotel. Uh, which is where Stephen King wrote The Shining. In Estes Park, yes. Estes Park. Yep. And, uh, and then I've been probably on about a dozen of these in, in that time since then, maybe even a little bit more. Uh, and those have been delayed for the last 18 months because of events in the world. Uh, but now uh, we had another one being led by uh, by Amy Bruni, who was a, an original cast member of Ghost uh, Countries. Now she has this wonderful show, Kindred Spirits. And Amy has her own uh, events company where she takes people out on ghost hunts. Oh, and, okay. places. and so I've been on many of, of Amy's events, and this is the first one since these events happened, since all these global events happened. And so they, they were, at, it was at the Belvoir Winery, uh, which, is, which is in Liberty, Missouri. Right. I've never been to Missouri, and I, I immediately fall in love with the state. It's a really beautiful state. <laughs> and, uh, and so I spent the weekend uh, you know, with this paranormal investigation. A lot, a lot of well-known people in the paranormal world were there. And uh, I know most of them. Some of them were new, and uh, it was delightful. And we had a lot of fun at the investigation. I was about to head on out, and then we realized that it wasn't far from where you were. And so you very graciously invited me on, and I'm just delighted to be here. I saw you post on Facebook that you were out here, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I can't, we can't pass up this opportunity if we've got the time to have you, have you come in. And a lot of times, whenever I see you talking about anything, you know, various different YouTube yeah. channels. You've been all over the place now. Uh, it's been in context of what's happening with Star Wars sure. and Lucasfilm, and it's I think that's topic, that's yeah. where we first came across a mention of you. Mm -hmm. Bounding into Comics did an article, yeah. and there was the series of tweets that you had posted about mm -hmm. uh, the writing workshop, the screenwriting workshops that you that you did, yes. and you used Star Wars as an example of. Good how and to do bad screenwriting. And then The Last Jedi came up as now you have an example of what not to do. Yeah, exactly. And so past that, I think somehow you sort of became the, the celebrity oh, pundit, uh, you know, the person yeah. who could give some insight because you actually have worked in Hollywood. You've been a writer on several series. You've been a producer. And how does that feel getting that kind of attention for being so outspoken about essentially what's broken in Hollywood. Well, you know, it's been interesting because like I said, I, I was just a viewer and a fan like everyone else. I was watching big channel on YouTube and, and following a lot of people on Twitter. Uh, and then I, I think, you know, it, it was geeks and gamers that just once, a, I think Jeremy had been following me uh, on Twitter, didn't really know who I was, but sort of, well, I think this guy might work in the industry, so why don't you come on in? And when I was on his channel, I started talking, revealing my background, and then talking about how the industry, how at least people privately saw things that were happening in Lucasfilm and Star Wars, and started revealing certain things that I'd heard mm -hmm. that were new information about how Jean Favreau viewed Star Wars. And this was just stuff that I knew and had been told by colleagues, but it caused such an uproar that people, <laughs> you know, it, it brought a lot of attention. Jeremy already had a very successful channel, but it brought a lot of attention. And then people were like, wait, this guy, this guy is actually a working writer, producer, you know, he's not on the fringes. You know, a lot of people who were sort of claiming the mantle of speaking about what's going on in Hollywood were largely on the fringes of it. And here I was like, this is this is my profession. This is what I do. It's what I've been doing for 20 and, years. And to be clear, you haven't done 
fly by night, low budget, little out of the way, nobody no, knows about things. I'm a network. I've worked on you. Worked, worked on, on Showtime. Uh, you know, for Sleeper Cell, which had a bunch of Emmy nominations and the Golden Globe nominations. I've worked a lot on the CW. You know, I worked at NBC a couple of times with uh, with Kings, which was very well received, and the Bionic Woman remake, which perhaps wasn't as well received, <laughs> but it was still a major network show. We had like you know 16, 17 million I, viewers. I have so, I have my thoughts about the Bionic Woman. We, there were a lot of adventures and misadventures <laughs> in that show, so we can we can talk about that here. But yeah, so wow. I've worked on major. I've worked as a screenwriter mm. and as a producer. You know, and have had some interesting journeys. And I've been doing this for 20 years. And in that time, I've also had my personal negative experiences of the industry and saw its hypocrisy and saw its prejudices and saw its, you know, the club, what I call the club, mm -hmm. which was essentially sort of a self appointed elite within the industry that wasn't based on talent necessarily. It was primarily based on relationships, often familial connections. You know, multiple generation people whose grandfathers had been the big entrepreneur that had done this major thing, and now their grandkids are living off of that, but have all the connections of the family. And so, and that club, since it's no longer really a club of those entrepreneurs from early Hollywood, it is a club that's actually quite resentful of letting people into it because it's a club of people who are somewhat insecure sure. about how they got there. And so, when I started experiencing that, when people were like, "Oh no, you're, you're the best guy for this," but yeah, we're not going to let you into this thing, you know? And then I would break in, and people were like, oh, this guy got in? Let's push him back out, right? So my entire, you know, when I was a low-level writer, it didn't matter. But when I reached sort of, I, because I've worked at the co-executive producer level, I've really worked at, the, at the, the, the upper echelon of this, right? Right. And I've sold a bunch of pilots uh, added as an executive producer and a creator. So I was like, so I'm now getting into this upper echelon, and the industry keeps trying to smack me back down, and I keep getting up, and it smacks me back down. And so that built up a lot of anger inside of me. And then I started seeing a lot of the issues that I was seeing with people that were, in my opinion, not particularly talented but had power. I started seeing a lot of the behaviors that I had witnessed in my career uh, spilling over into something that was very meaningful to me, which is Star Wars, right? All right. And, uh, and so that's when I just happened to release Steam on Jeremy's channel, and that got so much attention that other people started inviting me. I mean, my profession is, I'm not a YouTuber, my profession is still I'm a screenwriter. I mean, I'm, I'm I have a pilot I've just sold recently, right? I mean, I'm working on that. But because of that, people keep asking me to come in, and I'm delighted to share as much as I can. How has that affected the job prospects and the, and the pilot sales and any of that? Because you have been rather outspoken about what's going on in the industry. You have mm -hmm. you basically come in and said, the whole thing's messed up. Here are, here are my experiences. Yeah. Not just as a writer mm -hmm. at, that may or may not be more conservative than everybody mm -hmm. else, but also as a Muslim, as yeah. somebody who comes in and say, well, it, we, should, we should be doing it this way. And, and you, haven't, you haven't held your peace in the writer's rooms, according no, to some I, of I the mean, stuff that you've written. This is my personality written. in writer's rooms, which before I started becoming a little bit known on YouTube and social media, I was already this character in writer's rooms, mm -hmm. which was creating problems. You know, I, I, can't, I would so often, in fact, my agents would always tell me, just shut up, don't <laughs> say anything, let them be wrong. Right. They would say, just let them be wrong, you need to keep the job. Let them be wrong, right? And just don't, and for a while I would do that, but eventually it's just not my nature. When I see, especially when I'm being given authority, when you're like, when you're at a producer level, you know, you know, supervisor, producer, co-executive producer, I mean, at some point you're like, you're being asked to go to the set, and, to, and you have authority of people. Are like, you see something wrong. You're like, boss, we got to fix this. Yeah, and because theoretically, I have some responsibility. And uh, well, and, especially at the executive producer level. I mean, you may not be the showrunner, but you're you're the one what's signing the checks and yeah, say, well, hey. you, well, you, you're you may not be the one signing the checks, but you're definitely the one often on set dealing with the actors, and they're looking at you as one of the bosses. They know who the big boss is. That's right. the showrunner, but they're looking at you as somebody that has allegedly authority, right? Uh, and then, uh, so I'm like, well, again, the way I was raised is like, if you have responsibility, you have a responsibility, right? Right. And so, and that was already not helping my career. So already I had a place where people were like, this guy's smart, he's a good writer, but he's a bit of a troublemaker. I had already developed that reputation just because I would point out problems on shows. So, you know, there were periods of time where I wasn't working for a couple of years, right? Where I was, I was... You know, people, I might just like look. You know, they, they you're a good writer, but you're you're not. Uh, you know, just just don't want you around, right? Because yeah. you're you're the kind of guy that's not going to keep the peace in the office, right? Especially when you see something that's wrong. And most of the job is everyone looking away. Most of Hollywood is just look away, just look away. You know, from as little bit as like you know mismanagement of this to you know I think the boss is harassing one of the actors. 
actors, right? And the, just look away, don't talk about it, right? And that's the industry. And so it's not who I am, it's not my moral character. And so I'd already been through those, and yet I was somehow coming back. Like I'd get knocked out for a while, for a couple right. of years nothing's happening, and then I would get a good job, like on a show like Rain, which is a really good show. And then, you know, you these up and downs continue. So the interesting thing is, as I started becoming a little more outspoken on, on YouTube, or became someone that people saw, it was about the same time that these global events happened. So the industry was largely shut down, right? Right. And so this is the moment now where the test is to see what the legacy of what I've done is, right? Uh, <laughs> we'll find out now in the next several months. Because despite, you know, I've been out there for about a year mm. and speaking openly, I have made some pretty big enemies. I know for a fact I have adversaries at Lucasfilm. I know for a fact I'm that, sure I, you do. that people know who I am there and are like, this clown shouldn't be talking. They don't care if somebody's like, they honestly don't care if a YouTuber's talking. It actually annoys them because you guys have a lot of followers. But it's like, we'll just dismiss them and say, ah, it's just a disgruntled person, not even in the industry. That's how they see it. This guy's actually, this guy's actually got credits. And they're not crap credits. You know, he's not a famous guy necessarily. But if anyone IMDb's him, it's like, oh, this guy's a working guy. He's doing real stuff. Well, and, and. He shouldn't be talking. The other, the other part of that mm -hmm. is when when you talk about various different things that are going on on the inside, yeah. now people are like, okay, who is he, who is he talking to? Mm -hmm. Who's talking to him? Who's yeah, telling him these things? Which is what, Where is he finding which is what started happening in Lucasfilm. Uh, you know, I was knocked off of Twitter twice, and I'm not going to okay. go back after the second time. Uh, the first time, and this is just my belief based on the events that were happening at the time, when I was knocked off of Twitter earlier this year, I started getting very strange things. Be, you know, some, people were cyber-stalking me on Twitter and were, and were acting in ways... They were not the normal troll behavior. It felt like organized a marketing campaign. Yeah. Someone had been hired, shut this guy up, right? And uh, and I and he was always around Star Wars and Lucasfilm. And then they would start talking about my personal life. It was like, how could the average troll doesn't know some of this stuff? Somebody in, somebody in the industry would know some of this stuff. So somebody obviously is talking about me, right? Who actually mm -hmm. knows some of my life, right? So uh, that's when I realized, okay, Lucasfilm now knows who I am, and they decide this guy's a real problem. Let's just shut him up. And uh, you know, and it happened a second time. Now I'm off that platform. I don't want to go back to it. So when do we expect the deal with uh, Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire to be announced? Well, <laughs> as and I've been because I'm honest about everything. I I have my critiques of Ben Shapiro and Daily Wire. I'm actually not a supporter of Mr. Shapiro. People think because I'm pretty well known to be conservative on a lot of issues. Right. But I don't agree with Mr. Shapiro on a lot of things, particularly his, his views on the Middle East. And so, you know, I uh, I've been pretty critical, and I've been. You know, if Ms. Carano, who I have a lot of respect for Gina Carano, wants to work with him, I hope that that's a positive, successful experience for her. She is, from my limited interaction with her, I've just had a few DMs with her, that's it, I don't really know her. But my limited interaction with her, she seems like an incredibly gracious and, and very open person. And I think she's a different personality than Mr. Shapiro. I think he's in some ways glomming onto her to advance his own agenda. Uh, I just hope it works out for her. I don't think she needs that. I think she has other ways to continue to make a successful career. But yeah, so I, I don't think I'll be on that particular venue. I don't think he's going to want me, and I don't think I particularly want to be with him. And that's, again, part of the people assume, well, you must be a right-wing guy. I'm like, no, I have my beliefs. Ask me about an issue, and I'll tell you my opinion on that. Right. And then you can define it as right-wing or left-wing. I'm largely a libertarian. I believe in personal freedom. I believe as long as I'm not bothering you, you're not bothering me, let's leave each other alone. Right? That's it's pretty right. common sense for me. And you, and you really can organize society that way. People are like, well, how do you do roads? Like, you really can organize society in a way that maximizes individual freedom. And, uh, and just allow people to live. And, you know, I, out of my personal life, I'm a pretty conservative, religious person in my personal life. But I don't, I don't care if you're gay, and I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you don't share my values on this or that. You're leaving me alone, I'm leaving you alone. And that's my libertarian philosophy, mm -hmm. right? So that's now, probably the best way to define did it. this come from anything in your childhood growing up or anything? Because you got... You were born in Pakistan. Yeah, we came to America. When I was came to America when we were three, and and you grew up in New York. Yeah, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn, and if I'm if I remember what I read right, the neighborhood that you were in was predominantly a Jewish neighborhood. Yeah, it was a city Jew, so it was like ultra orthodox. So, so how did that work? I mean, you, 
obviously, I mean, you survived it. You, yeah, every, everything but, but it, it was along. actually a very defining experience for me because Brooklyn in general, there's a reason Brooklyn has historically created a lot of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It's just going back to the early days of a lot of the, the founders of Hollywood were all Brooklyn kids who were like shoe salesmen right. in 1910 in, in Brooklyn, right? And they came to uh, they came to Hollywood and created the industry. So it's it's all it's a naturally people talk about diversity. Brooklyn is a natural diverse thing because like I said my neighbors are Hasidic Jewish, they're Italian, they're Puerto Rican, they're black, right? And you just grow up with it. Those are your, your classmates in school. You don't even think about it, right? And so, and that's a natural diversity thing. And you're learning from each other, just interacting, play, you know, playing, playing, you know, handball with each other. You learn. Uh, and so, that you know, the Hasidic community's logic keeps to itself. And I was living, I don't even know how I ended up like in in that neighborhood because my parents whatever they found they found and, and it was it was a nice neighborhood but they keep to themselves but i was so fascinated by them and their culture you know it was in some ways not very different from religious muslim cultures mm-hmm. and so i was like this this guy this you know the rabbi over there kind of reminds me of my very religious uncle in karachi right and so i was always fascinated that's one of the reasons that i was a religion major in college my primary focus was judaism and islam I did my senior thesis on that, and so I've always been interested in those religions. And then I come to Hollywood, and, you know, people always say, oh, the Jews are in Hollywood. I'm like, you know, the only religion in Hollywood is, is, is materialism. Yeah, money. <laughs> and money. It's money. money. And, power. And, and money and power. Uh, and most people I know who have money and power tend to be at the deeply uncomfortable with religion, deeply uncomfortable with faith. Uh, you know, I have some of my, my closest friends in Hollywood are religious Christians and religious Jews because they all feel as isolated as I do, mm. right? You know, what, one of my friends is a, is a French producer who is a devout Jew. He will not work on Saturday, right? And he talks to me about how he is mistreated by people in the industry who actually resent him. Is like, because they're like, do you still believe this stuff? Because right? yeah. they're not about religion. You know, they're about power. And it's actually something that messes with their ego a little bit. They don't like anyone coming and saying there's anything more because they see themselves as the zenith of human achievement Hollywood well it's funny you say that because I have I have made the observation a couple of times that those who practice the far left progressive thought mm-hmm. and and not necessarily Democrats but I mean way yeah, to the we're, far we're a place left. where traditional liberalism yeah. has been is eclipsed by something very different. yes so so far to the left but it seems like they have their rituals and their orthodoxy, and it is almost like a religion in that. So, it's absolute religion. Uh, to hear you talk about how it is out there, that just kind of lines in there where you know we've replaced Judeo-Christian Islam, any, any of that, with whatever whatever this is that the far left has embraced, you know, Marxism, socialism, whatever you want to call it, and at the core of it like you say it's it's money and power mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily fall in line according to political party anymore no no now it's, it's about ideology yeah now it's not because this is infiltrating everything it's infiltrating our civilization you know america europe i mean it's getting into latin america you know it's 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 trying to get into the muslim world we're resisting it the people in latin america are resisting it uh, but it's trying. I mean, this woke thing, it, it, it's like the board, right? It will assimilate everything, and you have to stand up and resist it. Yeah. But yeah, but it is very much a religion. Uh, it is, and the people in Hollywood see themselves as the high priests of it, right? They see, And remember, they're high priests. The system is set up, the, this Marxist religion, which is what it is, cultural Marxism, just like any other form of Marxism, for all of its talk of equality, is always about a small elite that has all the power and resources and is must guide the, the, the ugly dumb masses, right? Some animals are more equal than others. Sure. Yeah, Orwell said this. And so that's exactly how Hollywood is. You know, I remember last year when Los Angeles was burning, when there were Antifa and BLM riots in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, in the neighborhood of Hollywood. I had two friends who moved out of their homes because their neighborhood was physically on fire and there was National Guard there. This is Los Angeles. And, you know, because people come in, send fire to stores, and my, you know, two of my friends have left that community. They were traditional Hollywood liberals. Yeah. The people were like, you know, I, I believe there should be Social Security, like old liberal stuff, right? And they're like, why are these guys setting fire to my house? Right? <laughs> you know, and, and what's this about? And so they left. Right. But but I remember while they were, while those neighborhoods were burning in like you know, July, August of last year, and my friends were calling me like, I'm hiding out because there's gunfire outside my window. I've never heard that. And I wasn't invited, even at the height of these events, you know, a, a major Hollywood producer, I won't reveal it, but a major producer who I respect, he's a friend, 
uh, but, you know, this was how he saw things. He invited me to his house, which was unusual because at the time people weren't even going to anybody's houses, right? They're, right, right, because you know, we were in he, lockdown. Yeah, because of lockdown. But he, for whatever reason, you know, again, they're all a little flexible with their own lives, right? They're, you lockdown, I'm okay. So he invited me to his house, and I was like, sure, I'm going to your house here. And, so, you know, and, and I went, and he was very nice and gracious. But then he started talking about all the events that were happening. He's like, you know, we've got to defund the police. You know, we've got to, we've got to you know, Black Lives Matter. And I was like, I hear this guy talking. I'm like, dude. This is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in LA. I drive, I drove in here through a gate. There's armed private security everywhere. You don't need no police here. So you could talk about defunding them. My friends who are living in a not great neighborhood in, in Hollywood are struggling artists, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of minorities in that neighborhood and their homes and businesses are on fire. And you want to defund the police and you want to talk. And he's like, you know, all the events are, I was like, I was like you, know, you see what's happening in the news, right? He's like, well, this was a necessary social explosion that from all the injustice, I'm like, I don't see no injustice around here. I mean, you're living really nice. I wish I was living. I'm living in a nice neighborhood. I was like, my neighborhood has had some issues. I'm like, this is this is a totally secluded, guarded neighborhood of the wealthy Hollywood elite. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, of course, of course you want those neighborhoods on fire. But they've convinced themselves it's for the good of these poor people. We ha- it's creative destruction. We need to shake up their world in order to put them on a better track. But my world doesn't need to be shaken up because I'm already part of the wisdom. Well, and that that makes me think of um, uh, Cloward Piven, mm-hmm. Cloward Piven, Piven, the 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 philosophy that we need to overwhelm the system, mm-hmm. and and this goes back to Woodrow Wilson's time, sure. you know, overwhelm the system, so the system breaks, so then the government can come in and be a new system and and well, control all. Of that's been, that's. Uh, that that ideology has had many names throughout history, but it is an it's an inherently the subversive ideology of the elites. Yeah. It's existed, you know. What was feudalism? We had a thousand years of European feudalism. Uh, that's the remnant of the broken Roman Empire, which is the remnant of the dead Roman Republic, right? And the final result of it was feudalism. You got a few elites left controlling all the land, and all these poor people got to work for them, right? That developed over centuries to get to that historical place. And right? we're getting there now. We are getting there right now. Yeah. Well, and and. Th- th- you, you come into conflict with, you have the elites and you have the people you know, that are going to work for the elites, but on the flip side of that, you have the government agencies who are incentivizing not working. Correct. You know, with the, the extended unemployment well, benefits. Because then you become, once you become dependent yeah. on government income, then they can, you know, they can say, well, you're, you're going to do this. Thing. If you want to continue to receive your UBI check, you're going to vote for this person, or you're not going, to, or you're going to do this that we want you to do. Yeah. And even if it's in not in your long-term or even medium-term interest, or even short-term interest, you're going to do it because it's in our interest, right? Uh, you know, as I've talked, I'm very much a follower of Malcolm X, right? And Malcolm X, one of the things people don't often realize, he's mistakenly presented nowadays as as a progressive. He wasn't. He was actually quite conservative, and he that's one of the reasons he was disliked by liberals in his time. He was very openly critical of it. Right. And Malcolm X said. What he was saying is supposed to be the back community, but it's, it's for all of us. But he said, he said, government assistance is all about slaving you, man. He, would, he told the black community in the 50s and 60s, do not take a welfare check. Don't take it. Offer to you, cut it up. Don't take it. Because that's how they will control, they will own yeah. you. They'll well, be slave owners. And he also said uh, something about mm-hmm. probably, probably some, of the, some of the worst enemies that the black man would have would be the white liberal. Oh, he was very clear about that. He said that yeah. multiple times. You know, people, you know, he went through evolutions. He went, he, his biggest evolution was he let go of bigotry towards white people and you know that was his and that's why he was killed he was mm-hmm. killed by radical black radicals who didn't like him start saying well we're all brothers and sisters and we're all you know I went to Mecca and I prayed with a white person and oh, yeah. we can't have this and they shot him right but he never renounced his ethical conservatism he, to the very end he was still talking about don't do drugs and, and black money and then he, and one of the last speeches he gave before he was killed he started saying well I want these principles to be universal that's one of those things it was a problem right yeah. that's when suddenly you know his house gets firebombed that's when suddenly he started saying, well, I don't think this is Nation of Islam coming after me. I think this might be the government. Because he came back from his tour of the Middle East, Mecca, and started saying, I want these values to be universal. You know, white people should stop drinking. <laughs> they, should stay, they, 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 should, they should stop being on government handouts. They should stop. He's like, and that's like, okay, we need this guy to shut up right now. Right. <laughs> Before you can say he's a black radical. Like, You're telling everybody that you should have traditional family values. Father should be the head of the household. You should have your own private businesses and rely on the government. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. And you're saying that for everyone. So oh, we can't like, have it's, that. it's time for yeah. this guy to leave the scene. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you since since all of the all of the appearances that you've made on YouTube, 
Yes. You talk about your agents telling you, you know, shut up in the writer's room. Do, have you experienced any intensifying of the pushback, people telling you, sit down, shut up, don't make trouble? Or has it I, been about the same? I've not heard it yet. Uh, I don't even know if my, my representatives are aware that I'm doing this. They might be to some degree. I think they see me on Facebook, whatever. Um, so far, they have not said shut it down. You know, they haven't said that. They have said before in the past, like, you know, just don't argue with this guy. Yeah. We know he's a jerk. Do you have any friends that are that are expressing some concerns? Like, Cameron, you really shouldn't be doing that? Or why? The why interesting thing is, so far, my friends are like, I wish I could say what you're saying. And it's just, I'm getting that from traditional liberal friends. Yeah. Right? Who are like, this woke stuff's too much for me, man. I got, I got a, a very famous screenwriter whose name I will not say sent me a message recently, a DM. You know, and I was shocked because I was like, I don't know if he's liking the kind of stuff I'm saying because I know he's pretty, I'm, he's pretty, he's pretty left guy, but he's not this left, right? Right. As I realized he sent me a message talking about, you know, a lot of where the transgender conversation has gotten to, right? And I was like, it's coming from you. He's concerned about this because he's concerned about sending his kids to school. And now his kids are being told by his classmates at 13, well, maybe you're a girl, maybe you're a boy, maybe you're not a boy, maybe you're a girl. And the kids like, mommy, am I, am I a boy or am I a girl? And, and she's like. He's like, this is concerning me. Yeah. What's happening here to our culture? I was like, this is coming from you? It's coming from you? <laughs> and he's like, and he said, the only reason I tell you this is I've seen on YouTube that you're talking about these things. And he's and so I know that you share these values. And I said, and he said, a lot of people share these values because most people in Hollywood are just your traditional New Deal liberals. Yeah. You know, that's if, it. They're if not they just if they decided to speak up mm-hmm. all all together, I mean if there was if there was a a group of them that said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna step off the cliff, and we're all gonna we're all gonna say things." It it doesn't seem like the climate is such that anybody wants to be the first one. Nobody wants to be the first one, and we've we've already been through this recently. We you know the Writers Guild had a very difficult moment the last year where um, you know we we had to go through this process where the Writers Guild had a dispute with the agencies on a certain issue. I don't have to get into all the technicalities of it. And the way they resolved the dispute, or they thought they would resolve it, is the Writers Guild board ordered all of us, all you know, 15,000 members of the Writers Guild, to fire their agents as a pressure point. And I was like, I love my agents. Most of us are like, I don't I've worked really hard to get my agents. I mean, I've worked really yeah. hard to get these powerful agents. It took me 10, 15 years to get to people like this who are open doors for me. And they're, they're the, the, your agents are your access to the system. If you don't have one, nobody knows who you are, nobody's seeing your material, and you vanish. So, and like, they're like, if you don't fire them, you're going to be removed from the... They were, the implication was you might be banned from the guild and you can't work. And so we all did it. And then many of us, a loud minority of people, powerful people, we're talking about people like, you know, they were, when you saw the list of people that posed this thing, there was actually a public letter which I signed. Mm-hmm. And there were famous, famous screenwriters on there, A-list screenwriters who are very powerful, who put their name on saying, it's time to end this. This isn't the way to handle our dispute. Our agents are our friends. We can handle this business dispute in another way. And they were all vilified. They were being portrayed to the general populace of the Writers Guild. So look, look at these elites who are trying to, you know, they, they're, 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 they're selling you out, right? Yeah, because they're anti-union now. And they're, they're anti-union. Yeah. And so many people's reputations were injured by this. And so there was such a poisonous debate over this where your character was being impugned that this year we're having a new Writers Guild election. Nobody's running for it. The, the Writers Guild pretty much selected one of those people that had supported this incident, had been the leader of it, and the Writers Guild Constitution actually requires that there be multiple candidates for president. It requires it. And they first, first time I received an email saying we were not able to find anyone else willing to stand up hmm. because they've created a system where you can't speak. That's in the Writers Guild. We, I'm using this example of where we, that's within the last year, that's within the last few weeks. So literally, they can't get anyone to, they don't, no one wants to fight the Writers Guild, and that's just a portion of the industry. So because they're afraid of how their careers and their reputation being destroyed by, by the more fanatical elements in the industry. And so now, expanding that, you're saying, well, why, you know, because I do believe the majority of writers that I've interacted with are, they're certainly left of me, but they're not at that level of woke progressivism, yeah. and they're unhappy with it. And you'll see them, these guys were like, I voted for Obama, and I voted for Biden, will probably say, you know, I'm not getting work because people are saying I'm a white male. My agents are telling me there's no work for white males. And you think, and you think that's coming from a liberal guy who's like, yeah, they're, they're quietly saying there's reverse racism, but they can't say it publicly, right? Yeah. So, so saw, everyone's afraid to be that person. I'm, I'm one of the few, that, in fact, I'm the only one that I know of 
that is a working writer that says these things out loud in public that I know of. Does that make you the token conservative in the room then? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know that. I, I'm in no way protected because I've had my adversaries and yeah. they've blocked things in my life. They've blocked things. I've lost jobs over things like this. Even before I was known on YouTube, I was, I was already known as the Muslim guy, which was a problem, right? Part for two reasons. One, the more philosophical thing, anyone who's religious is a problem for the system for the reason we talked about. You know, you know, my, my Christian friends who are religious Christians don't talk about it because they're like, that's gonna get us out of here, man. Yeah. Right. My religious Jewish friends are like, I don't tell people I don't I, I you know, I, I I don't work on Sabbath, that's gonna hurt me, right? That's one. And number two, Islam is particularly seen as a problem for Hollywood for as a particularly problematic religion for two reasons. One is that it is seen as a religion that is basically conservative in nature and is stubbornly resisting the woke agenda right right and is fighting it and secondly it's a lot of people in hollywood they have very passionate views about the arab-israeli conflict they're largely very sympathetic to israel unsympathetic towards palestinians and they view islam as a threat on that issue and so a muslim starts rising they're like well they, we've been telling people for 50 years there's an official narrative on who the good guys and bad guys in that story are and no. this guy shows up and he might start tweaking that narrative i've been in situations we're on shows where the characters are talking about that particular conflict and when I see the final script I'm like why are they not talking about it anymore or why has the conversation changed because and then the people are like well it's a little controversial I'm like no you just don't want the character to say that the character does believe that but you don't want the character to opine this because it might present a new opinion on that particular it starts conflict. a conversation yeah, they, don't they don't want to have and they're yeah. like, and they're like well, you, well, we don't want you talking I was like well then why'd you create this character that believes this whatever so now I'm reaching a place where, well, this is the big test. I recently sold a major pilot. I can't give the details yet, right? But I've sold it to a major studio. We have a director attached. And God willing, the next, literally in the next few days, the plan is to take this written pilot with a studio that's willing to finance the whole project, take it out to the buyers, which is Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, and the traditional HBOs and ABCs and NBCs. Right. They've created a list. I've seen the list. Now we'll see what happens. I don't think most people at those places really know who I am that much right now because part of the, the one benefit is the executives at all these places cycle out every 18 months. Sure, yeah. And so, you know, somebody who didn't like me at HBO three years ago ain't there anymore. Yep. And so in, in some ways there's a protection where most of those guys aren't watching YouTube. So they're not seeing me talk about this stuff. And I'm not ashamed about my views because I'm putting them out there, right? So we're going to find out very shortly whether the material will be judged on its own or whether there will be an element of resistance. And it'll be particularly interesting to see if anything happens at ABC, which is part of Disney, right? And they're connected to Wilson. Because I'm, I know people at Disney know who I am because I've worked there yeah. and I got fired because I spoke up there. <laughs> and they know me because I've been critical of Lucasfilm. So I know people at Disney know who I am, so we'll see how that affects ABC. We'll see. So circling back to Lucasfilm, yes. When, yes. when the various different articles came out, the Forbes mm -hmm. article came out, yeah. Variety came out, Atlantic. the Atlantic, and you've made predictions along the way and said, okay, well, when the Forbes thing came out, that hits the money people, and the Variety article about Bob Bob Chapek rearranging things, that tells that's the, the industry, industry. what our internal conversation right. is. Right, and then the Atlantic was the, the, the cocktail party. The is now group. the external conversation, we yeah. have to sell to everybody else. So, there's still the debate mm -hmm. among the the YouTube community especially, yeah. but but in in a broader sense on social media and the various different things, there are a lot of people that says, oh well, there's no there's no civil war going on in Lucasfilm, there's no internal conflict or anything, and there are still people who think that Kathleen Kennedy is not done at the end of October. Now, based on what you know, and I I don't want to be putting you on the spot and and make you you know think. But based on what you know and conversations that you've had with people who probably know, what do you see Lucasfilm looking like at the end of this year going into 2022? So, and I could be proven wrong in a few months because the end of the year is coming. We're already right. halfway through the year, right? But based on what I predicted back in February, and then these articles came out after that, each step I would predict, well, the next one's coming, the next one came. So, so far, each step of the dominoes has played out the way I said it would happen. Uh, in February. Mm -hmm. So it remains in my view. So now that I've seen the actual dominoes fall the way I thought they would, uh, it suggests to me that Miss Kennedy has finalized her exit. How that exit will be presented to the world will not necessarily be clear. You know, my expectation is the next thing that will happen is 
you'll start hearing talk about you know because Kennedy's now focusing on on uh, the world post Lucasfilm. When you start hearing that, you'll start seeing some reporting on that. That's when it's already been signaled. It's now time for people because the signal is already given that Jean Favreau is the heir. That was given in the Atlantic because right. he was named as that, right? And she was named, and so it's clear that that article is like this guy is the future of Star Wars. So now you've got to clean up the final thing, which is now you've got to get, let people know it's time to understand that Miss Kennedy is going to do Indiana Jones, assuming that that continues with Harrison Ford and Jared, I don't know. but uh, They're shooting at Glasgow right now. Okay. And they've got, I think we... Are they back on with Mr. Ford injured? No, well, yeah, because we reported uh, mm-hmm. yesterday there's a number of places that are that are putting out photographs. Yeah. Um, they've, they're shooting the Apollo 11 New York parade in Glasgow, and they have Harrison Ford's body double, stunt double. Okay. So they're, and they're, still they're doing they're, gonna get they're doing the face replacement okay. dots on on that. So okay. I'm assuming that they're moving forward with as much as they can. Yeah. So thank God he's not. I mean, as far I'm thank God he's still with us, right? Yeah. And so so you know, I I'm not that hopeful for this being a good movie, especially after the last one. And that was with Mr. Spielberg, and he's not even here anymore. So I'm not that hopeful for this being a good movie. I just hope it's not an, a complete embarrassment to his legacy. We'll see. But I do believe the next step is that you'll start seeing, the, you know, it, because it's now been set up. Now that John Favreau has been officially anointed at the Atlantic as the future of Star Wars and the guy who's putting it on the right track, that's what the article said, you're going to start seeing probably maybe about a month from now, as we start approaching the fall, you'll start seeing the, and now Kathleen Kennedy's planning her future and the next stage of her glorious journey. Right, right. You'll start seeing that kind of, those articles start coming out. Uh, and then... Then you'll also start hearing about the awards. You start hearing about the the you know, she's going to be getting this lifetime achievement award, and this is the, the special thing for next year's Oscars. You, the more accolades you start hearing, the more of it is uh, here's your your severance package right. being publicly revealed. Because I think the severance package is done, right? So I think we're going to be probably going into early next year with these accolades. Probably. I think the pivotal point will be after the Oscars. I'm sure she's going to get some kind of major, like Irving Thalbert Award, that kind of thing, right next year at the Oscars. That will be her, you know, because once the Oscars are the, uh, the epitome of this industry, right? Once you've got your Oscar and your Irving Thalbert, right. you've got your sunset, go off into the sunset, you know, cowboy. And then, so that'll probably be what, February, March of next year, probably the Oscars. And so after that, once she's allowed to have her incredible sunset moment, the conversation is just going to shift to the next thing. Do I think Mr. Favreau is going to be announced as CEO of Lucasfilm? I think that's unlikely. I don't think he wants that title. I think he's a filmmaker, and that's his thing. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they have secured or are in the process of securing an official person to play that role. Now, they, politically, they may have a figurehead person. That Would that come from some, somebody on the inside, like Michelle Rajwan or sure. Mosem Gupta? Any yeah, of those people that have already been set into place. And Ms. Gupta is, is an example of someone, you know, who, you know, I don't know her. I'm sure she's quite talented. But the industry, the first consideration, regrettably, in these moments is not the person's actual talent. It's about, do you check a box? And she's a woman, she's a minority, you know, she's Indian, all that. That's certain, certain political boxes. And so I'm sure they have someone who will serve as a face for various political things. Sure. Hopefully that person is a competent person, will actually do the job as well. But that's not a necessary part of the requirement. Yeah. As long as you've got the figurehead face, then you have the, the number two, you know, who's actually running it. And then we'll find out who that is. A lot of people were making hay over the fact that uh, Dave Filoni's promotion finally went public on Lucasfilm's mm-hmm. website. I mean, it happened last summer. Mm-hmm. And then just a few months ago, the thing got updated and everybody's, you know, blowing a gasket. Oh, chief creative officer and all that. How much of a big deal is that, really? Do you think is that is well, it, it is, was that a strategic mm-hmm. moment in well, terms of when they changed that? Well, it's definitely a strategic moment in letting the town know that he's going to be even more influential within Lucasfilm. He's not just the guy who did a couple of interesting animated shows, right? He's going to have a bigger creative role, right? You know, I, he's not someone, who, and I think people have said this, and I think it's true. He's not someone who has the resume to run a studio. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't have it, right? Doesn't mean whether he's competent. I've met him once, he's a perfectly nice man, right? And uh, he's very successful at what he's doing. But the industry's gonna wanna see, have you managed 150, $200 million productions like this, right? Have you been able to get people to, because that job is someone who's gotta be a salesman or saleswoman, salesperson, whatever, right. nowadays, you know, 
Uh, and then can you get people to, in, you know, can you work the political hierarchy to get financing for XYZ projects, which Ms. Kennedy is very good at, right? And, and, uh, and so that person, whoever is going to have that role, is going to have to be someone who's actually very good at, at pulling levers to get money flowing into various things and political games. Uh, and I, don't, I think Mr. Filoni is very good at a very focused element, which is Lucasfilm or Star Wars. I don't know that they would put him in charge of an entire company, and you know I just don't think that's likely. Uh, but his profile will continue to rise, so we're going to get some announcements from names. People will be like, "Oh, look, this person's a Kathleen Kennedy protege." So even if Miss Kennedy's moving on, it's going to be the same old thing. Yeah, it's not going to be the same old thing. <laughs> it's just even the protege knows where the wind is blowing yeah. and knows where the power is because we're in the world right now—the fall of the Roman Empire. The person bearing the crown is not necessarily the person in charge. It's often the, the, the prime minister or some shadowy minister you don't even know who's telling the person you want to stay on the throne, this is what you're going to do, right? So we should be looking for a Rasputin somewhere off to the side. Yeah, would, would, that be, would that be someone within Disney or, or would it be within Lucasfilm? Because like you look at the deal with mm -hmm. Kevin Feige at Marvel mm -hmm. and he basically at one point in all of this Put out an ultimatum that says, "I'm not going to work with like Perlmutter or the Story Group anymore. I'm only going. I'm, I'm just going to report to Alan Horn or I walk." So Feige is basically his own thing there now, and he he had the leverage to do it because he was identified as the the visionary of Marvel, right? Whereas no one can really be identified as. I mean, maybe Favreau and Filoni are the visionaries, but they have been. They still have the Kennedy stamp over them in theory, right? So it, well, let's let's assume that. Kathleen Kennedy's on her way out, yes. and whoever they put in charge there mm -hmm. as the figurehead, would it be more advantageous mm -hmm. in terms of the Hollywood politics to have a Disney person there, or would it be better to pull somebody up like like Michelle Rejwan or, or... I think politically it's always better to pull someone up, because then, then you don't have this newcomer coming in the outsider. and resented by, by the current staff. And so so I think someone like Ms. Redwan, right, Ms. Gupta, people who are already being seen as being involved in this are natural candidates for that. Does the, you know, it may very well shake out that a, that a third candidate that, whose name we do not yet know that may be at Lucasville, or maybe within Disney, is already being foisted into that position, right? We'll find out soon enough. But whoever it is is going to be someone who I think has a very clear directive that you're there, you can listen to, to Mr. Favreau and Mr. Floney creatively, and your job is to work the political strings so they can get the money to do what they want to do and give us cover, right? And the biggest cover moment will be, and this may never happen because it may be too hard, the biggest cover moment will be once Miss Kennedy is gone, I don't think it happened before it, can they announce a return of Miss Gina Carano, right? I don't think it's possible to announce it while she still has a title. Sure. I think that will mess up her sunset. Well, would... Would Gina come back? Do you think? Because we've heard. Because I, you know, Drunk Three PO has talked to her a number of times. He's, and he seems to be suggesting that she doesn't have any interest in coming back. Now I don't know what conversations they've had, uh, and, and you know, and how much he's he's and any of it, to say publicly. Sure, and anything could change between now and whenever that decision yeah, gets policy, made because yeah. it's like, hey, you know, we're going to add this much money, more money. Because if Rangers of the New Republic was supposed to be her show, who's to say that maybe they don't give her an executive producer credit, for example, or you know, try well, I'm, I'm as sure, a way to? I'm sure that would back. have been the plan anyway had these events not happened. Right. Um, but you know, so it, it's she certainly had she is a, an independent-minded woman who is a very strong woman who's had a very successful career outside of this world. Doesn't need this world. It's something she's doing because it interests her. She doesn't need it, and then she could retire from Hollywood and still have a very successful career doing everything else she's doing in her life. Right. Uh, it'll be her choice. One thing that makes me think that as human beings can weigh with someone, I do think that Mr. Fabro and her have a, have a human relationship that's friendship. I don't think it's just business. Uh, I, I think, you know, in, in the times that I've seen Hollywood relations where someone goes out of their way to create a role for a person that bonds you as a human being, and I'm sure he protected her a lot last year. As much as he could. As much yeah. as he could until certain topics were broached that the industry goes, ah, we got it. it's a gotcha moment, we got to, we can use this, right? And that's a topic that even Mr. Favreau couldn't touch, at least for a while. But remember, James Gunn is back. Yeah. James Gunn is back. And people thought he was gone for good. And he, you know, he said, one could say he was joking, 
but he said a lot of crazy things. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty crazy. I mean, it's not normal stuff to be tweeting. It just wasn't normal, you know. And so, waited a couple of years. Then, how was it, it glossed over? I, I don't remember if it was Mr. Horn or Mr. Iger. It might have been Mr. Horn. Someone said, well, I just had a talk with him. He's learned his lesson. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And then, and then no one talks about it anymore. Well, and, and the other part of that is how 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 long ago that all was and it comes out so you're sitting there going how what's the statute of limitations on things that you can say that that people may or may not get well, there offended there's no statute right? of limitations currently they'll, the they'll go back as far as they can the woke mob will come to they're, they're getting rid of people for stuff they said in high school yeah i mean the, i mean and and one thing we should remember this is human nature it's intensified in this moment but People always drag up stuff from your past. Our current president, Mr. Biden. I remember when he ran for president in the 80s. I was a kid at the time. I remember. I remember why he ended his run because they found out that he plagiarized a college essay, right? Right. They, I mean, they went back to his college. That was 30 years before, 40, 20 years before that. And they found out and he couldn't lie about it. He admitted it and he had to withdraw. Nobody talked about it again when they needed him, right? That was, right. That was buried. But... That was in the eighties. They wanted to get rid of this candidate. Look at him. He plagiarized a call essay. So you know, and it's human nature to do this kind of stuff. It's just we're just seeing it more intensified in in, in attention. So what are they going to pull up against you? Pardon me. What are, what are, what are they going to have against you? No, I'm, I'm kidding. Well, well, I mean, look, I'm, <laughs> they have more than enough against me. I mean, yeah. I was one of the things I discovered on my recent return to Twitter was that you know some of these people who I believe were either Lucas from Plants or actual people working there were suddenly creating fake accounts with zero followers that, that were active for a day. And the only purpose account was to was to post old screenshots of stuff from my previous dead account. Right. Now, I can't even get into that old dead account. So one of two things was happening. Either these crazy people were screenshotting political opinions uh, that I had and holding them for a year in a file waiting for a moment to use them, or they had access to somebody at, at Twitter and said, can you go into his account and pull up some stuff that we could use? It's one or the other. Either is crazy. Yeah. Because I'm not important enough. I'm not James Gunn. You know, I'm not, you know, and he's got, certainly not yet. And so it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, for the fact that you would go to this much effort, but as, at least as of today, I mean, I, I am who I am. I'm human. I've made mistakes. I've got embarrassing stuff in my private life that I wouldn't want publicly out there, right? Uh, you know, and that's part of being human. I have opinions that are not popular in Hollywood. I've already broached those opinions. I'm known for those opinions, right? I have opinions about this election. I'm, to not offend your viewers, I'm not a supporter of Mr. Trump. I have many criticisms of him. Didn't support Mr. Biden either. Yeah. But I uh, believed, and I still believe that event, the way that election played out was shady, shady stuff. I'm like, what do you mean you're shutting down through, you know, five states are shutting down you know, at the, exactly the same time when the other guy's ahead and then reopening four hours later and the numbers have reversed. I mean, that's... I'm born in Pakistan. That's old third world crap, right? I mean, you know, when it's time to ballot stuff, this is nothing new. I'm like, yo, the Egyptian president won with 98% of the vote, you know, after a couple hours or everything was shut off. I mean, this, this is how this kind of stuff has always been done. So I was like, all right, that looks pretty shady to me. You know, whether that's going to mean anything in America or the future, I don't know. But I was very open about it. I was like, I don't, this election looks real shady to me, right? Yeah. You know, uh, this kind of stuff is the stuff I saw in the Middle East when suddenly the Syrian president wins like this. I'm like, I know what this is. And people and people were posting those like, oh, look, you know, you, you believe the election was a fraud. I was like, all I know is that these events, they don't look good. They're yeah. not normal. They're causing some questions. Yeah, and they're not yeah. normal in American electoral history. They're just not normal events. You don't shut off voting in five states when the other guy's ahead and flip it. And suddenly everything comes back. It's not normal, and I'm not going to apologize for that opinion. It isn't normal. Maybe, maybe Mr. Biden won with that. That's the way it all happened. It was all the sprinklers went off, and they had to shut off. Okay, it's just not normal, and I'm going to keep saying it doesn't look normal. It doesn't look good, and so they were trying to use those against me. So I know people have those. I mean, I know they have those. So when my show, God willing, goes, other shows, will these people pop up again? The one benefit is I'm not on Twitter. So when you don't have the immediate person to focus on, where are they going to post those things? Yeah. Well, now, do you have quiet conversations? Because you were talking about, mm -hmm. you know, people people concerned about the the riots and mm -hmm. and the woke culture and the cancel yeah. culture and all that. Do you have 
political conversations with some of these people that maybe they're saying some things like, for example, with the election and, and some of the questions that are raised there or, you know, the, the, the public policy on vaccinations and, and that sort of thing. Do you have people that are saying, you know, I kind of agree with you, but I can't say it? On those two topics, I haven't heard. On those two topics, pretty much everyone I know believes that the election was 100% normal and natural and Mr. Biden won without any shadiness. That's number one. And number two, uh, when it comes to the events, the health issues, they're pretty much on board with the official narrative. Yeah. Uh, and I have yet heard anyone. What the concern people are expressing is where the social culture is going to. That's where the, where the progressivism, where you, where, you know, various issues about woke identity, uh, you know, about whether there's a such, whether there's even sexuality, whether sex is real. A lot of people privately sympathize with J.K. Rowling when she said, you know, identify any way you want, dress any way you want, love whoever you want. But men and women is a thing. It's a biological thing, right? right. And, uh, and, and a lot of people I know believe that opinion, right? <laughs> or it's not, for me, it's just like, oh, biologically, there's male and female. There's 0.002% of the population that might be intergender, right? But whatever. And so, but, but they are afraid to say it out loud. So those are the DMs I'll get. Yeah. I'll get it on social issues. On the political issues, nobody's, you know, you, you can't be in, I've not actually, no, actually, I've met a couple of people that are quietly pro-Trump, but they'll never say it. They'll never say it. Uh, and uh, on on the, the health issues, that's too much of a, of a, you know, that's too much of a red button for, for anyone. I know there's some people that are at least wondering whether everything that we've been told in the last 18 months makes rational sense or logical sense, but they know that even broaching the question will get you labeled as an anti-science person who wants to murder people. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much yeah. of a label. And so, you know, I've been very open that I've questioned the events of the last year. I continue to question them. You know, if someone doesn't want to work with me because of that, that's fair enough. But I think, I think it's not crazy to ask certain questions because, you know, I had a huge fight with very people I'm very close to last year when I posted on Facebook uh, the Newsweek article that was talking about gain-of-function research. That was last April of last year, right? Right, okay. And, and I saw it in Newsweek as a very respected journalist. I'm a former journalist, so I was like, this guy's a top journalist. He's an investigative journalist, and he's posting this thing about how we had funded this gain of, you know, bat, <laughs> bat virus research. And I posted on Facebook, and people I'm very close to started saying, you need to pull that off. You're posting crazy Trump conspiracy stuff. I'm like, this is, this, is, this is Newsweek. This is a real investigation of something that's there. And they told me, take it, take it down. And, and I lost some friends over this. And then they would respond by putting, you know, posting like fact checkers and BuzzFeed has a fact. Oh, sure. And also I was like, this high quality, this is like, this is like Washington. This is like, you know, this was like, you know, Watergate level of journalism. And you're like, you're bringing this like BuzzFeed fact checker to, to contradict <laughs> it. All right. But then yeah. it was unpopular. <clears throat> A year later, that same article has been recycled and everyone's talking about it. I was like, now so, it's okay. Now it's okay. And yeah. now, you know, Facebook has stopped suppressing that, you know, because for whatever the internal political reasons are, that they may want to be pressuring China on certain things, for whatever political reasons, certain people are like, okay, well, now we can suggest this might have come from a lab, all that. So I don't apologize for asking that question. I just happen to be a year ahead of everyone else in my industry. It's a fair question, and I think there's a lot of stuff about what's happening right now that's a fair question. I mean, I will say this, Los Angeles has just put back its mask, indoor mask requirement, after right. a month of freedom, right? And I will say this, some prominent people in the industry this weekend sent me texts saying this is stupidity. Again, they're not coming from a Trumper perspective, they're like, Biden said you can take off your mask if you're vaccinated because they're all proudly vaccinated and they're like right. they will they'll talk about it at dinner. I was like, let me show you my vaccine Here's card. My card. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's like and they'll talk. It's like and so them they're like, well, why don't I get this done if I can't go to the grocery store? That's a stupid mask. For all their talk, they all resent the masks. They all pretend they all pretend they want the mask, but privately nobody wants to wear this stupid thing. Yeah. And and certainly they don't because again, they see themselves as elites. To them, this is something a slave wears. Mm -hmm. and I gotta wear this thing. I got my stupid jab. And I gotta wear this thing when I go to the bank. And after a month of telling me I could, didn't have to, and Biden says I can take it off, and the CDC says I have, and my friend Fauci, my iconic hero Fauci, said I can take it off. So I started getting those DMs just a couple of days ago. I started getting text messages from prominent Hollywood liberals saying, this isn't right. The, the L.A. County Health Department, a bunch of crazy bureaucrats, right? And there's likely, with time, we will likely discover, because none of the other surrounding counties 
are obeying this, right? Or, right, or having right. it like this. And the LA sheriff has said, this isn't scientific. I'm not going to enforce it, right? Uh, there will still be social pressure to enforce it. I'm sure when I go back to LA tonight, you know, people will be masked up. And, and just, even if they know the cops aren't going to come to arrest them, they're still not going to want to argue with anybody in a store about it. So what's, what's going to happen is I'm sure in a few months, if we can even get one of these investigative journalists to wake up, they will probably realize that the, this was not put. This was put into effect because of some private conversations with the with the teachers union, right? Because <laughs> that's really the the teachers union in California is is the current power player that's molding the, everything that's happening. Sure. And so, LAUSD, I'm sure that's what's happening. Certain calls were done saying, my teachers don't want kids in their classrooms, you know, without masks. And so, this you're gonna pull this. And whatever the data is, just that's what you're going to do, right? And I don't care what Biden says, because and they have the power to do it. I think with time we'll discover that it's a very specific political event that caused this, and it wasn't about rising, in, you know, cases and that stuff. We'll discover that with time, hopefully. That remains my opinion. Someone watching this goes, "You're a crazy radical." I'm like, oh, a lot of people in the industry <laughs> are not happy with this, but they just can't say it publicly. They'll send me a text. Yeah. And why are they sending me the text? Because, because know you're, that I'm, you're the ones that's out there. Yeah, yeah. and they know that publicly, that they, because of who I am, they're like, All right, at least I know this guy's not going to condemn me. He's not going to ruin my career. He's a simpatico on this. Sure. As long as I protect their identity and don't tell people. Before we wrap up, I yes, want to get your opinion on one other thing. Please, the please, Viacom please. CBS, uh, it's come out here the last couple of days that a, apparently, maybe... Sherry Redstone may be having conversations that Viacom CBS might be up for sale soon. I mean, that that was, to me, that was inevitable. You, particular Viacom CBS, you know, with Ms. Redstone and her family have, have been essentially at war with that board, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's gone through it had been one company and then it had been broken up into two. And, right, and so it's gone through a lot of shape. And we're in the world right now where the money is in the hands of uh, streamers, Netflix, Amazon, you know, that's where the money is. So... I, I'm sure something like that is at least being discussed by lawyers, whether they who, sign it. Who do you think would be a good candidate? Because if if well, what's the current? Because I've been traveling, so I haven't heard all the details. I've heard, the we've got rumors? we've got uh, Warner Discovery could get it, uh, Netflix possibly, Comcast, uh, and and Disney. I think yeah. those are the well, top. Those four. are all viable candidates. I mean, if I if I was in the board there. I would probably focus on Netflix because it doesn't own something like that. Right? Netflix's goal is to essentially be, I mean, for all their talk of moving us in the future, moving the past, they're buying theaters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Essentially trying to become an old-time studio, right? That's what they're doing. And so Soon they'll be spread, uh, spend, uh, spending money on, on DVD technology, and, cool. and we'll be able to get DVDs from yeah, them. I mean, <laughs> Netflix is bringing us all backwards, right? And, and that's fine. But so I, I mean, I would think Netflix would be because they're they're looking for something. They want they'd love to own a TV channel. You know, why do they buy theater? So they could put their their streaming content in a theater, so it could be you know, eligible Oscar for Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. And I mean, they're they're desperate. Netflix is desperate for becoming a respected Hollywood studio, not a progressive thing that's going to change the future. They've already changed it. Now they just want to go back and sit on their laurels and be an old school mogul. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they want. <laughs> and so Netflix would be. I mean, the one merger that I'm very excited about is actually the one that's happened, which is, and it could be a candidate for this, for Viacom. And I, I personally think because it's already discovering, because it's bought Warners, I think the, the you know, the federal government would might prevent it from buying Viacom just from antitrust issues. Sure. But certainly the, the, this merger, the Discovery Warners merger, I'm actually very excited for. Uh, I actually, I'm a huge fan of the Discovery Networks and, and its family of channels. You know, what am I here? I'm here on a ghost hunt from people that are on the Discovery, you know, Discovery Plus, right? Yep. Uh, on their shows. I want Discovery, the brilliance of Discovery is that they don't care what Hollywood thinks. They care what the customer thinks. So, you know, the, the people of Discovery is like, people in Hollywood, oh, I don't believe in Bigfoot. Yeah, but the customer believes in Bigfoot, so we're going to make a bunch of Bigfoot shows. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts. Everyone, you know, yeah, okay, great Hollywood, you don't believe in ghosts? A lot of people do, so we're going to make these ghost hunter shows. And they're massively successful. So Discovery is very focused on what does the customer want. It is less interested in what the club wants, and which is good. So it is good. Yeah. That's why I'm very excited for that merger because yeah. I think, particularly Warner's, which has gotten the reputation of of a culture, certainly the feature film side, of resisting the audience because it's all, because the high priests inside of Warner know better. We saw that. We saw that with DC, yeah. with how they handled DC and everything else. Uh, you know, I think the television. I've, I've sold projects to Warner Television. I think Warner Television has historically been very different. 
Warner Television has been a lot more focused on what the customer wants, but Warner Features has in recent years been very internally focused. So I think Discovery is going to shake that up. I mean, I think most of the people that are in Warner's features will be out within the next year. Uh, again, there'll be lots of accolades, big parachutes, golden parachutes. Uh, but, And I think it will be a sustainable, longer-term thing than AT&T. Because AT&T didn't know how to do this, right? It wanted to, but it didn't know how to entertain people. Yeah. Right? It knows how to make phones, right? Uh, and Or it or does phone service. Whereas Discovery knows how to entertain people. That's its entire purpose. And it, its focus is we want to entertain people and we want them watching. And we're going to give them what they want. So this, I think, will be a breakthrough for the industry. Because it will remind people, you got a customer that's going to pay you a lot of money. Give them what they want. That is a perfect place to, to end on that because give the customer what they want is something that I think a lot more people should be doing. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll so. get there. I think the industry is shifting. Just practical economics. Yeah. So I'm a libertarian. I'm a follower of the, of the Mises School, of, you know, of the Ludwig von Mises and you know, Austrian School of Economics. And it's all about human nature. And so we are going through this moment where we think this is forever. Kathleen Kennedy will be charged forever, right? You know, the, the Ryan Johnson trilogy is coming. We're living in this moment where it's all history is a pendulum. And when you go to where extremes of economics, extremes of politics, and extremes of social culture, mm -hmm. apparently extremes of pharmaceuticals. <laughs> and so <laughs> once we get there, yeah. it eventually human nature research itself. Human nature resists things that don't work for it. And the pendulum is back. And that's where we are. All right. Well, thank you very much for thank this time. Jason. This was a, a very nice way to end the weekend. It was, a, it was a nice surprise to see you were in town, and I'm glad we got to, to spend some time together and talk. And we definitely need to do this again. Well, I mean, so. I'm hoping, I, like I said, I fell in love with Missouri. First time I've ever been there, I was like, I like this state. <laughs> I should get a home in this state. This is a really lovely state. Well, Kansas City has a film incentive program, mm -hmm. so, so you I know, should bring some of our productions here. Bring your productions here, yeah. and we'll we'll crew it up, and you'll be all set. Sounds good. Well, I'll be <laughs> delighted. All right, that is Cameron Pasha. Where can people find you online? Well, and I'm off Twitter, so you won't find me there. Uh, you know, the best place to find me is right on Instagram. Uh, so my handle there is Cameron Pasha seventy two K A M R A N P A S H A seventy two. Uh, you know, that's, that's the best way to connect with me. You know, I've got a Facebook, but I'm a little, you know, I've got a lot of weirdos coming to me on Facebook. I'm a little, please don't be offended if I don't accept your friend <laughs> request. I've got a lot of people. Yeah. And so a lot of them are strange, so I'm a little cautious about adding any more to Facebook. Now, you've I, got a website, cameraposha.com, but you haven't done anything over there in a while. I, I haven't seen a, a recent update there. Yeah, I don't really update my website much. Uh, I should. You know, I actually talked to my, the, the people that designed the websites. Maybe we should bio is very old and old some old pages I'm going to fix that right I mean the website's primary purpose is to let people know about my stuff you know you can go to my website CameronPasha.com and, and I'm a novelist and I've got a couple of novels on there and you just press the button and it'll take you to Amazon you can buy them and the, one of the great things that's happened since I've become known a little bit on YouTube is people are actually buying my novels and uh, people well, are like good. you know I, I like what you have to say about Star Wars and I read your book your book's really good so it's actually my, my publisher's <laughs> like what's happening what is getting this this rush of sales I was, I was like just go with it, man. <laughs> Just go with it. Take it. Be <laughs> grateful. <laughs> when's When's the next book? Are you working I, on one? I finished the, the third manuscript, and now uh, we'll see. You know what the process is. I've got it out to my agent to get it out there. And is it see. historical fiction like the yes, other two? Yeah, I'll tell you what it is. It's the third novel is uh, is is called The Queen of Persia, and it's actually a novel based on an old Old Testament story. You know, and it's uh, the story of Esther. Oh, was, okay. Yeah, so the story of Esther, and uh, it's in ancient Iran, ancient Persia. Uh, story of a Jewish girl who essentially takes on the identity of a Persian noblewoman and infiltrates in the harem of the of the king of Persia to try to save her people from a pogrom. It's a very popular story in in Judaism and to the Old Testament, and uh, and I wanted to tell a story because I've written most of my novels are all my novels. I have two novels published right now. Have are primarily female-led stories, right? Because uh, I'm fascinated by the female mind and and. In historical figures, and so Esther is incredible. She's essentially like it's like Alias, you know. She's a spy that breaks in, and and the king falls in love with her, and all these things happen. And I thought this is an amazing story, and I wanted to tell. You know, I'm I'm a practicing Muslim, and I wanted to tell a story that is that is from the Jewish and Christian traditions, and I wanted people to read it and go, I didn't realize a Muslim guy wrote this because there's no Islamic propaganda. It's the Esther isn't really part of the Islamic tradition. There's really no reference to her, but people reading it should go. This guy knows how to tell a good Bible story. You know, from its own perspective, and, and I hope I hope we can get it out there, and and I hope people will respond. Like people read my Crusades novel, Shadow of the Swords, and people thought this is going to be a Muslim propaganda thing about the Crusades. And my Christian friends just read it and said, this is one of the best defenses of Christianity against the Crusades. Mm -hmm. the Crusades don't reflect 
the Christian faith, right. which is what the novel actually goes into, but the Christian characters were in the battle, but this isn't what they're about. Yeah. And uh, and that's meaningful to me. The people outside my faith community will feel that I respected them, and that's very important in my writing. Well, hopefully you will survive dealing with the Sadducees and Pharisees in Hollywood. Yeah, good luck on good the pilot. Hopefully, hopefully we hear more about that fairly yeah. soon, and, and that moves forward. And we'll definitely have you back on, on the show. Well, I hope probably I'm physically in the remote, studio. But in I the studio I... would be great. That would be great. All right. Regardless, I'll be on again. Thank you so much. Okay. And thank you, everybody, for being here and uh, uh, joining us for this. Now, one thing that I will note, we've, we've pre-recorded this. Uh, but anybody that has a comment or a question, I'll, I'll certainly pass them along. Yeah. And, of course, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Have your notifications turned on. And check out all of the rest of the shows. Coming up on the H2O podcast, Mr. Harvey and I are going to expand on my thoughts on Richard Donner's career. We're going to be looking at that. And then Tuesday night, uh, we will have a brand new Salacious Crumbs with the latest Star Wars news. So uh, be here for that as well. That's going to do it for us here. Thanks very much for watching. Cameron, thanks very much for Thank being you. here. Have a safe flight home. And remember everyone, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.